0: Hi, this is Chad. I'm so glad to be part of your journey towards Product Mastery so you can better develop products that your customers love. That's what we are all about here on this journey together. This episode is sponsored by the Product Mastery Now community. That's right. We have a community for listeners of this podcast and members are product managers, leaders, and innovators who are creating value for the customers and they want to learn with others who share that same commitment. They already have a good deal of product experience typically and they want to learn more with others. As a member of the community, you can participate in the live video interviews with guests, not just the audio part, asking questions you have that I didn't think about asking. Also, you get the interview at the time they are made, months before listeners to the podcast get the get this uh, audio version of it. And there's much more. Community members also have regular expert sessions, Q&A sessions, discussion forums, and training as well. You can find out more about what the community offers and see if you'd like to apply for it at productmasterynow.com community. Now, every year, the Product Development and Management Association, that's PDMA, they recognize an organization with the Outstanding Corporate Innovation Award, the OCI. This year, I was at the conference and saw Hershey receive it, and Hershey do a presentation about them winning and that was in 2022 was the last time this was awarded. You might be listening to this later. The winners of the award can teach us valuable lessons about innovation. It's been going on for longer than I actually knew. We're gonna find out some details about that. Here about some of those lessons, we have Sally Kaye with us. She has served on PDA's OCI committee for several years. Sally spent 36 years with the Dow Chemical Company and GlaxoSmithKline Consumer Healthcare. After working in R&D, finance, sales, and marketing, Her career has focused on various areas of innovation and in new product development. Since retiring, Sally has started her own consulting business, Strategic Product Development, which focuses on the front end of the innovation process. And as a reminder, listeners, if you want a detailed written summary of anything that we talk about, including a one-page action guide, or some key takeaways of those lessons that Sally will be sharing with us, go to productmasterynow.com slash 429. Sally, thanks for joining us today.
1: It's nice to be here, Chad. Thank you. Looking forward to
0: it. You have such a great wealth of experience, and I want to find out more about this OCI award, but just to provide Mm -hmm. some context, I've been involved with PDMA since about 2006. It's really Mm -hmm. the organization that turned me on to this. There there is a body of knowledge and disciplines related to product development, product management, and innovation, and they've been very helpful. But what a lot of people probably don't realize is this is a volunteer-led organization, right? Unlike Project Management Institute or something, None of us get paid for being part of trying to move this forward and helping out. And I am told by people in the know at May that you really, for many years, kept OCI together and moving forward. And I just want to take the opportunity to thank you for that. There's been a committee, there's been other people that helped, but I'm told you really for many years did push this forward. And thank you very much. Can you give us just kind of the background about why this award was created?
1: Surely, yes. Yes, thank you. OCI was actually created as a learning vehicle for PDMA. The concept was that if PDMA could identify companies which had achieved sustained and quantifiable innovation success, they would give them an award if that company would come to the annual conference and present the practices which have contributed to their success, thus creating a Lesson, uh, lessons learned from proven, successful corporate innovators, as was an opportunity for the attendees. And in fact, this lessons learned aspect of the OCI award is unique. And one of the really key things which separates the OCI award from all other innovation awards, the OCI committee uses a rigorous process each year to select the winner or winners, and one of the key areas that we really focus on is identifying those unique practices which will provide valuable learning opportunities for others who are trying to improve their own innovation practices. As the committee likes to say, we look under the hood of these companies to see and to learn how they are sustaining innovation success. We're not just letting them tell us they are. We want to know how they're doing it. And that's the uniqueness of OCI.
0: Yep. I love that lessons learned aspect, right? Let's learn from the best innovating companies right now. And that tends to change over time and see what the practices are being put in place. And that's what, as with my academic hat on, a teacher, right? That's where a lot of our models come from. It's through observation of what are doing. That's what Bob Cooper did with StageGate and what we've done with some other innovation models and Christian Clayton's work too. It's observation of best practices and then bringing that forward. What is required to compete for the OCI award?
1: There are three primary criteria, Chad. One is sustained success launching significant new products or services. Companies have to be able to demonstrate at least five consecutive years of launching significant new products or services. Now we do not count line extensions, new colors, new flavors, new packages, are not counted as significant. And that's why the second criteria is the companies have to be able to show significant quantifiable business results that are delivered by those new products or services. It could be sales and profitability. It could be market share. It could be vitality index might be the metric there we'll look at. It could be creating new markets or entering new markets. And then the third criteria is we want to see a consistent use of disciplined product development practices, which the companies are willing to share with others. That makes sense. So it's sustained quantifiable success and then practices which support that, which have contributed to that success.
0: Very good. I was doing some work, innovation work with a company that was creating an innovation team and realized separately that they were also applying for the OCI award. And I suspect a lot of organizations choose to apply because it really helps them evolve what they're doing, right? Because they not only go through the application process, which helps them think about what they're actually doing and maybe codify that in a sense, but they're also getting feedback too from the committee and it's uh, to them, right? Am I on the right track here?
1: You are absolutely on the right track. In fact, one of the things I was going to bring up later was just that is we get a lot of comments from companies which don't actually win, go through the process, get to be a finalist, but don't win. And they come back and say, we learned so much. From the process, we do give very detailed feedback. When the committee at the end reviews the questionnaires, screening questionnaires, and the site visit reports, we're very detailed about why a company may not be selected at that time for the award. And we provide that very specific feedback to the companies and they I, we've had so many of them come back and say how valuable that was. Mm-hmm. And we've had a number of companies, Chad, that have come back three, four, five years later and applied again and have won the award because they learn from what we taught them and they have adapted or evolved their practices to reflect what they learned from us.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. Before I was aware of the OCI, my space as yours is innovation, I was also aware of the Baldrige Quality Award. I think it's misnamed a little bit because it's not just only about quality. It's really about how do you improve the performance of your organization overall as an integrated system? And I hear the same thing, right? The average winner of the Baldrige Quality Award has applied five times, right? Over five years.
1: <laughs> yes, I remember that
0: yeah. statistic. And yes. com- companies mm-hmm. use it as a tool to get better, right? Just like the OCI is such a great wave, too. Okay, so so maybe some listeners are thinking, hey, maybe we should look into this.
2: We'll be back in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by the RPM Experience, the rapid product mastery experience. In just nine weeks, meeting 75 minutes a week, product managers, teams, and leaders become product masters, creating more value for customers, their organization, and themselves. You will build a broad foundation of product management knowledge, get everyone on the same page, while also improving collaboration and renewing a focus on the customer, all resulting in higher performance. Participants feel empowered and more confident about their work. They learn how to create value for customers and revenue for their organization. One product leader who used the RPM experience across a global organization said it is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed. Many organizations have benefited from the RPM experience, and you'll find them listed at productmasterynow.com slash RPM. Go to the same URL and schedule time to talk about how Chad and his team can help you and your organization.
0: Let's move on to what have we learned about this, right? So it's all about them sharing their insights each year. Can you bring some of those forward for us? What are some of the key practices that you have seen from when?
1: It's really interesting, Chad, as I mentioned earlier, we started the award was started in 1988. I wasn't around at that time. But up until 2004, we never looked broadly across the winners. Each year's winner was selected, came to the conference, presented their practices, but we never looked at them as a group. And then in 2004, the OCI committee was asked to write a chapter for the PDMA handbook of new product development about the OCI award. And we all kind of looked at each other and said, well, what are we going to write about? The winners come every year. People can see their presentations. What is there? Wanting to be team players, we said, all right, we'll try to do this. So some of us on the committee went back through all of the screening questionnaires. We went back through all the presentations. And- tried to do an analysis of it. And we were quite surprised that in that time frame, there was consistency of the practices which separated out the winners in that time frame from the rest. And even though these companies were diverse from an industry perspective, size perspective, or geography perspective, there was consistency of practices. But what we also saw was how they executed those practices was very dependent on their industry and their culture. So we learned a lot there and we wrote the chapter for the handbook. But since 2004, we have conducted two more retrospective analyses, one covering 2004 to 2013 and the other 20 to 2021. And what we saw in both those analyses was an evolution of the practices which separated the winners in each time frame from the rest, but still saw that consistency of practices across the winners in a given time frame. We certainly learned that achieving innovation success has not gotten easier over the 35 years of the OCI award. It's a much more complex today than it was in you know 1988. In fact, in the first analysis, the three practices which separated out the winners were the they were early adopters of Bob Cooper's stage gate. They were early adopters of cross-functional teams and they were early adopters of voice of the customers. They recognized the importance of talking to the customer early on in the innovation process today as we look at the practices which differentiate the OSI winners, they're much more complex and they involve having a well-defined innovation strategy that defines where the company is going to play and how they're going to win. Companies today have an intense focus on the front end of the innovation process, not just voice of the customer. Portfolio optimization is critical today. Right projects, right time, right resources, solving the right problems. External collaboration and open innovation have become a very key practice for all of the winners in the last decade or so. And having a culture which supports bold thinking, risk-taking, and even failure is really critical. And we've seen now in recent years the adoption of lean and agile practices and also more focus on metrics to not just measure the results of the innovation activities but to look at the process itself. How effective is their innovation process are using metrics to see how effective their process is. And at the hub of all these practices is a strong corporate commitment to huh. innovation. And that was not true in the early days, but it is in the last time two timeframes, that corporate commitment has become critical. So again, innovation today is much more complex than it was. And we really have to constantly be looking like, we'll look at Hershey and see if there were new learnings from Hershey that, that we want to include in our lessons learned. And I just recently did that. And I know there are lessons there that we will want to also include in our lessons learned.
0: Excellent. And as, as a preview for our listeners, Hershey is going to be a guest in about a month or so to talk about oh, winning the award. Great. That will be a good treat to hear them, them personally deliver some insights. So I want to dig into some of these, but for listeners that really want to find out more about this, what are resources available that they could go and learn about these retrospectives and some of the lessons?
1: Well, we have written now two chapters in the uh, PDMA handbook of new product development, both the second edition and the third edition. Mm-hmm. I was actually an associated editor on the third edition. So I felt obligated to write another chapter about our updated learnings from OCI. Excellent. But we also have a, we did a webcast. I believe it was last year, Chad, on what we've learned from the. OCI winners. And we actually, in that webcast, we show how some of the companies execute these practices. I just gave you broadly what the practices are, but I think there are also some learnings about how companies execute those practices. And so, we've included in that lessons learned from outstanding corporate innovator webcast we've actually included the uh, some examples of execution of the practices
0: okay the pdma handbook first edition we could find on amazon easy enough is the second edition published yet
1: well i could look on my bookshelf here i thought the one that i was involved in was actually the third edition okay and that's been a years ago yeah ken khan was the editor of that but i'm yeah, that's been several years. Now there okay. may be even a more recent one. But.
0: Well, I heard one is in the works, so I don't know what edition okay. that is, but I don't think it's being published by Wiley, and I don't think that's out yet. Okay. I'll put yeah. I'll find I'll track those down. I'll put links in the show notes so that people have those resources. PDMA webcasts, is that available to only to PDMA members?
1: I have to look at that. I have personally given it to companies in a different group meetings and things, but I can follow up on that with and see how they might make that more broadly available. I've given it to classes. I have done that presentation for university classes several times. So they do allow me to do that for non-PDMA members. So
0: maybe we can get permission to make it available and I'll link that in the show notes as well.
1: That's a good idea, yes.
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's extra value for listeners and really valuable information. These are the kinds of research studies I very much appreciate, right? It's Let's look over what are the best performing organizations doing and what can we learn from them. And best practice sometimes is a touchy subject because people say, well, your best practice isn't mine. And obviously you have to account for your culture and what your organization is like and not take things just as is and plug them in because that usually doesn't work but the processes in place, what they're trying to accomplish, really, there's gold there for us to learn about and benchmark and incorporate in our own work.
1: Yeah, as I said, that was a surprise to us when we did that first retrospect analysis about the consistency. And we have companies, automotive companies and consumer goods companies and service companies. And so it was a very diverse group. And yet you could just see the consistency of those practices.
0: And I captured eight, and they'll be in the show notes, but quickly, well-defined innovation strategy, intense focus on the front end of innovation, portfolio optimization, external collaboration, like with open innovation, culture of a risk-taking failure, lean agile practices being used, use of metrics that make sense, and a strong corporate commitment to innovation. Given that we don't, probably don't have time to go through all of those, are there any favorites that you want to just pull out and talk a little bit more about?
1: I think the innovation strategy is Critical. We learned how important that was from Corning in 2008. I don't know how many people know Corning's history, but at one stage, they were very dependent. Their business was very dependent on the telecom industry. Mm. And we all know what happened to the telecom industry in the early 2000s. And it started to decline and there was significant disruption in that. And Corning suffered. Corning almost shut their door because it had such a significant impact on their business. But in s- their management got together and decided instead of shutting the door, they would totally change their approach to innovation and make sure they were never dependent on just one industry again. So one of the keys, and this chat has been written up by Stanford and Harvard and MIT, one of their key things was to develop an innovation strategy. They call it their innovation recipe. So you need a teaspoon of this and a quarter of a cup of that, but it clearly defines for the organization where you need to go. What do you need? What are the key elements of achieving successful innovation? One of the things is you must be solving a significant customer problem. But they have this so well spelled out. I actually did the site visit for Corning in 2008 with another committee member. And it didn't matter whether we were visiting engineering or marketing or sales. Everybody could quote the innovation strategy. They all knew that was critical to them being successful. We focus a lot in the OCI award process on that strategy, trying to make sure that those companies have a clearly defined innovation strategy. And I think we we see that we saw it with Hershey, that is critical. And uh, in the other one, I would point out, I think they're all important, but that front end focus, we had that in one of our original analysis, importance of the front end, it's going beyond voice of the customer. But we've changed the wording and said, now it's an intense Front end focus. Companies are really digging deep at the front end of the innovation process and getting as many inputs as they can to make a decision to where they're going to innovate and what are viable opportunities for them. Church and Dwight showed us a funnel where the input, where they decide, determine what they call their drill sites. Their drill sites are where they focus their innovation efforts. And they showed this funnel with probably 25 different inputs coming into that funnel to determine where they should be playing and what are the viable opportunities, the big opportunities, the big bets going forward. So that intense front end focus is something that I think is really critical and tends to be skipped sometimes and people don't spend the time there.
0: Do you have a sense of how the winners resource that front end? Adobe's the they did the Kickstarter box program where basically any employee that wants to participate in innovation right can. There's other organizations that might have a dedicated innovation team who is working on that front of innovation. I ask because a challenge that often comes up is, well, we're so busy doing everything else. How can we ask employees to add to their plate to have some kind of focus on innovation, too? And I don't know if the research was involved in that or not to have an idea of how they resource it.
1: Well, a couple of things is and I'm going to use Corning as another example. They have they've got great names like the Innovation Recipe. They call their discovery process the Magellan process, a great hmm. discoverer Magellan. And so theirs is the discovery process. And they start with workshops and they bring in people from all kinds of, someone from energy, someone from the economy. It may not have direct impact on their business today, but they want to know what's happening, what are trends that are going on. Now hmm. they have, Corning has both, Marketing and technical people sit in on those sessions, on those workshops, and they happen maybe every two years or so. And then those teams of technical and marketing go away and come up with what were the insights they got from there that might be new opportunities for the company. And then they have a process for taking them, putting business cases together, evaluating them and going forward. But another example is Novazymes, which is a biotech company headquartered in in Denmark. And they created their own crowdsourcing platform just for their employees, where employ somebody would put out an idea and other people could jump in on, on their intranet and contribute ideas they have had tremendous success with that I think their first pilot they did they there were I forget several hundred employees from the company and it was voluntary whether they wanted to participate but people really wanted to participate they wanted to contribute whether they were in the marketing or in research or whatever and novazymes out of that first pilot got five major opportunities to follow up on out of that. So I think that's another tool. I think, I don't know if you attended the OCI Past Winners panel at the conference, but Sherwin-Williams said that one of their new approaches is to encourage ideas coming from across the organization. Don't want people to think it's just management or as ideas or just marketing. They're really encouraging the whole organization to contribute ideas because they want to value the diversity of people's perspectives in the organization. So it's I think companies are taking different approaches, but they are trying to look at it as a really critical step in their innovation process and getting those diverse perspectives from across the organization is valuable for them.
0: And in that sense, we're incentivizing, well, so through kind of having that competition in a sense, right? Making it available. Well, let's capture everyone's ideas. They must be giving feedback on what's happening with those ideas, which ones are actually being carried forward. And those are great systems. And we've had a couple of past episodes, Lego and Wise Consumer Electronics, Talked about the power of their external community too, right? So crowdsourcing from customers yes, and kind of using them as lead users to identify, well, well, where do we go next? What is the next great Lego kit or capability or the mm-hmm. next change to a wise camera or new product line even?
1: And there are also some things now companies are using external sources. They'll post a problem. Mm-hmm. This is a problem we're having. And are there sources out there beyond our own organization that have solutions for these problems? And you know, there's fine lines because of confidentiality and things, but I think we are seeing more of that kind of a effort going on in corporations today. They know that not all, you know, knowledge and technology resides inside their company.
0: Yep, yeah, ideas outside the walls of the organization are often helpful to.
1: You yes, get, start
0: yeah. thinking differently a little bit. One other I just like to ask you about is that portfolio optimization. I think one of the frequent problems that I run into in organizations is more projects than resources to actually get done, right? Mm-hmm. So the average length to complete a project unfortunately seems to be getting longer and longer because we keep adding projects and they're all worthwhile projects, but they're not all they don't all have the same level of value, right? If we could focus on the few projects, maybe get them done in six months instead of two years, the few that actually create revenue now, Mm -hmm. that would be more powerful to us. Can you talk a little bit about portfolio optimization and just that project selection? What has come up there from winners?
1: I think that companies are becoming more disciplined in that just for the reason you said, Chad, is that you don't have enough resources for all the projects and you really have to prioritize those. And I think there are companies are coming up with tools where they say, what are the critical criteria for projects for us? And let's evaluate the projects against those criteria. We see um you know, them using tools where they can get diverse perspectives, bring in manufacturing's perspective and sales perspectives, marketing perspectives, but from, from the company, but against established criteria, critical criteria, to your point, it might be time to market. It might mm-hmm. be significance of problem being solved. And so I think that that prioritization has become really critical for them. And I think I did a panel similar to the one I did this past year in 2015, two panels, 2015 and 2016. And there was a lot of talk about portfolio optimization and how critical it was to select the right projects. And to your point, and at the right time and to so that you we're putting your resources in the right places. But they also talked about the need to have that balance between incremental and adjacent, and then the disruptive. And they thought it was important that you couldn't just focus on incremental. Those were the easiest, fewer resources, quicker, all of that. But they needed to have a balance with the disruptive, the ones that would lead transformation in their industry. They thought that it was really important. You couldn't neglect those, just and do the easy. Well, they felt very important about having, it was very important to have balance in your portfolio.
0: As you mentioned, that, I was just thinking, do you happen to know if a Caterpillar ever applied for the OCI?
1: I don't remember them. I have been around a few years and I don't remember Caterpillar specifically, but we'd certainly welcome them to.
0: <laughs> no doubt. Yes. This has probably now been, I don't know, when he was a guest, maybe four years ago. The podcast has been running for eight years now. So the global director of innovation from Caterpillar was on to talk about how they kind of think about their portfolio, right? And he described it, right, just as you did, right, that balance between incremental, adjacent, and disruptive. But their terms were core. We focus on our core capabilities, right? We Mm focus on the adjacent things, like where it would make sense for us to go, new markets we could move into, we could apply our technology to, or do something for a new market. Or transformative, something that customers might not expect us to do, right? That's what they call the disruptive. And he went through this, and I said, I'm sure I'm not the first one to ask this, but did you purposely make that spell CAT? Or did it just work out that way? And he laughed and said, maybe it's just in the DNA at this point, but we did not intend for it to spell cat. It just happened to come about that their portfolio strategy spells cat, core, adjacent, and transformative. And I thought that was funny. But it does help me remember kind of that balance that we need to be thinking about if we're just focused on the core, the what we do today, incremental innovation, we're going to miss out on opportunities that are coming down the road. Just because customers are always changing, the business environment changes, and certainly there's new technologies to take advantage of as well.
1: It's interesting. When Beckton Dickinson, which is now known as BD1, one of the things that we were impressed with is it's an old company that had been in the same businesses for years. And they suddenly realized from a strategic perspective, they should be looking at new opportunities. So they called it going outside their core, outside the core businesses. Then actually there's a a slide I use in the lessons learned presentation that shows they put together a strategy. First, they weren't just going to go, hey, anything is in play, but let's put together a strategy for going outside the core. And then let's do our homework and let's determine how we're going to resource that but I think we are seeing companies as you've noted that are going away perhaps from their core but it is critical that they still have discipline in that that area that they that's and you talk about the customer one of the things which came up in the most recent panel I think it was a the gentleman from 3m said the Customer has become the force majeure more today than ever before. And they all talked about when our recent challenging times with the economy and with the pandemic and workforce issues, customer dynamics have been changing rapidly. And it's so critical that you talk to that customer constantly. And that's why you're seeing some of these agile processes. Church and Dwight talked about their test and learn. They call it sprint to get fast feedback from customers. Mm -hmm. And so that's the customer is is, it almost is taken on always important. But I thought the force majeure term used by 3M kind of captured that how important that customer really is. Can't be I when I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs and startups and I just emphasize to them the criticalness of customer discovery. It's can't just have a good idea or a good technology. You really have to go and out and talk to the customer. And are you solving a problem for that customer?
0: Great insights, great lessons from the OCI. When organizations say, Hey, we want to innovate better, benchmarking organizations doing something really well is useful. And this is the outcome of the OCI award effort, right? And the resources we'll provide some links to, they have done that for you. That They've already said, hey, here's what the best organizations are doing. Here's things that you need to be thinking about and incorporating into your innovation capability. As listeners know, we love innovation quotes around here. I asked you to bring something for us. Can you share and describe what that means to you?
1: One I'll share is... And this is a quote. Our company moved from an NIH, not invented here, philosophy to a PFE, proudly found elsewhere, philosophy for innovation. And this was a quote from a DSM senior executive describing their commitment to open innovation and I chose this quote, Chad, because it reflected commitment which G- DSM management made in the early part of this century. They had done an analysis of the current, their current business model of the markets they were competing in. And then they looked at trends. What were the trends in these markets? And they decided that their current business model wasn't going to survive, that they weren't going to survive if they continued along the same path. So they made a really total change in their innovation strategy in order to sustain innovation success and even to survive. And what I think is really important was that a key component of that was open innovation. We're not going to do basic R&D anymore. We're going to go outside and collaborate with universities and startups and we'll license in technology, will license out, we'll acquire, we'll do all of that. But it will be a total open innovation, external collaboration model. And I love the quote, because I spent a lot of my career in an NIH organization. And I was found myself constantly challenging that philosophy, because I knew in order to deliver unique products to the market, I needed to go outside and find expertise when, that we didn't have internally. And that was not a, a popular thing to do. And so I really admire the decision the DSM made. And this is one, we talk about our OCI winners, not just reflecting best practices, but reflecting next practices. And in this case, people in 2009, when Well, DSM really made this decision in about 2004. People weren't talking about open innovation. And here they were. They introduced us to open innovation as a practice which could really help you succeed in innovation. And it has worked extremely well for them. And in fact, DSM was one of the first corporations to establish their own venture capital fund to go out and invest in university research or invest in startups. Now, almost all corporations have a VC fund. But DSM was one of the first, and they taught us about the value of that. And today, like I say, most companies are doing that. They really see the value of that external collaboration and creating their own incubators and things. But DSM was really a pioneer in that arena.
0: I just like the acronym too, right? From not invented here at NIH, which I knew, to PFE, which is new to me.
1: Yeah, I'd never heard that either, Chad. I loved it. When he showed the slide that said PFE, I'm like, what? Huh? And yeah, there was.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us. Along the way, we talked about PDMA a little bit and some links that I will certainly include to resources we have about the OCI and PDMA. Mm-hmm. You have an encyclopedic knowledge of innovation best practices, right, both from your personal work and then from your association with OCI that you've been helping others with, how can people find out more about what you're doing and if they want to reach out to you?
1: I I really am open to talking to people about OCI, what we've learned in that area. I I really, I I use what we've, these lessons learned with my clients and I'm really using them now with, and I referenced this earlier with startups because we think entrepreneurs are freewheeling and think out of the box and all of this stuff. But I actually think they need some of the discipline that corporations have. And startups, investors are not investing as much as they used to. They're being very selective. And they want to see more discipline. They want to see that startups have validated problems being solved. And the Perhaps collaborated with companies and things. So I, I use a lot of things that I've learned from the OCI winners with the entrepreneurs as well as my clients, but I am happy to answer any questions people might have. Like I said, I'm sure PDMA, if a company would like to see the lessons learned presentation, I'm sure PDMA would be happy to have me set up a webcast. I Like I said, I've done that numerous times with different companies Excellent. to show them that and with university classes, things I've done it. So I, I think it's, it does provide some valuable insights. When you said this before, but the OCI winners are not talking about theories. They're not talking theories. They've been there and done that is what I like to say. And the OCI committee's members would tell you I say it all the time, but they have been there and done that. And so they know what it's like to face challenges in innovation. And they've addressed those challenges and found ways to be successful. And that's what I really like about the OCI award is it's not theories. These are people that when I was in the corporate world, my company loved the fact that I was on the OCI committee, gave me time for volunteer activities, paid for my travel, to do site visits for OCI, because I always came back with valuable things right. to to learn, that we'd learned that we could improve our own processes. So I do think this is, OCI is a unique tool and learning vehicle. So I'm happy to share sp- Specifics and things, and something I would say to you too is the OCI committee is very conscious of confidentiality. That's always an issue when you're talking about innovation. And we are very conscious of that. And we, if when we do site visits, and the final step in the process is a day long site visit at the headquarters of the finalists conducted by two OCI committee members, and if they want us to sign NDAs, we sign NDAs. And when they tell us things they don't want shared even with the committee, we don't share them with the committee. We'll conceptually communicate something, but never share anything that they consider confidential. I know companies worry about that in thinking about participating in the OCI award process, but we are very conscious of that. And mm-hmm. so and when we work with them on their presentations for the conference, we're very conscious of that also. That right. we're while that we want them to deliver value, they don't have to deliver company secrets or anything in that regard.
0: Yep, I was wondering—is LinkedIn a good way for people to reach out to you?
1: Yes, I'm on LinkedIn quite often. I'm on there.
0: I will put your LinkedIn link in the show notes as well, so people that want to reach out and find out more about just this great knowledge that you have amassed about best practices of the best innovators. Sounds like you you help a lot of companies, including startups. So anyone listening that might want to get some insights, it might be a good opportunity to reach out to Sally. Sally, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Well, thank you for the opportunity. I've really enjoyed a chat and. I welcome any back or any follow-up that anybody wants to do.
0: Excellent. And listeners, on your path to product mastery, if you want to find those written notes of everything we discussed, including that one-page action guide with key takeaways, you'll find that at productmasterynow.com slash 429. Everyone, keep innovating.
2: Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.